knows there is surely more than this echoes of eternity all around us Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you as you uh, make your way on in. It's um, good to be here in this place together uh, to honor the Lord, to worship him. Uh, We're going to worship God uh, this morning by singing songs together, by reading from his word, by uh, listening to his word, and of course, through our time of prayer and even of our time of fellowship is a great way to worship God because he gets glory when we encourage each other in our time of fellowship and reconnecting from last week. And so um, I would just encourage you, as I read from God's word now from Psalm 138, listen to these words of the Lord and allow them to be your call into worship, a time to help you just kind of settle your mind and your heart to put aside all the things that you've been thinking about this morning, plans, things that have to happen later after church and all that. Just let's take some time to regather uh, our, uh, ourselves and uh, realize that we have the privilege of coming before the matchless throne of grace. I was reminded just this week recently that when we read and hear the word of God, we are coming face to face with the sovereign creator of the universe, right? And so we take his word seriously, and when we hear it or when we read it, we realize that we are encountering the living God, amen? And so let me read from Psalm 138, just the first five verses, as our call into worship. And then I'll ask us to stand, and uh, I'll pray, and then we will sing some songs uh, to uh, join our voices and our hearts together to give him glory. Psalm 138, verses 1 through 5. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. 
Before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted all things above all things, your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. In my strength of soul, you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth. And they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Would you stand with me? We want to sing of the greatness, the glory of the Lord. Father God, we do gather here in your name gathered because of your son Jesus in whom we have life and you have come Lord Jesus to give us life and life abundantly and so we now want to worship you in that abundance of love and of grace for great is your glory and great is your name so father we want to honor you now with our lips as we worship you together through song. God, may the words that we sing ring true in our hearts, and may the music stir us up in our souls to join together as one and praise your holy name, for you alone are worthy. But we do so for your glory and through the move and leading of the Spirit, and we do so in the name, that matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Church, let's worship him together.
For he has said 
Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that we are his. Amen. Just take a minute to say good morning to somebody next to you. You can uh, make your way back to our seats now. And uh, it's good to see that uh, our children made their way down to their classes. And so we're, we praise God for them and for their teachers. We thank God that we can have uh, a ministry to them, continuing to declare the mighty works of God from one generation to the next, as the Psalms uh, encourage us to do. And so um, this morning... We will continue in our series in Second Peter, and so I just have a few quick uh, announcements, things to get caught up on, and reminders, but uh, if you'd like, you can uh, turn in your Bibles there or in the, the Bible apps on your phone to Second Peter chapter 2. We've made it all the way through chapter 1 right, of Second Peter, but we are in Second Peter chapter 2. We're going to do the first three verses today, so you can take a minute to find your way there. Um, <clears throat> But uh, as you're doing that, just a reminder that uh, here at Trinity, we learn, we grow, and we serve, and we do that together. These are our core values because this is how we pursue discipleship, by learning the truth and growing in faith and then serving others, right? And this is a process that we repeat each and every day throughout our lives. This is um, how it is that we pursue discipleship. And if you remember, we, <clears throat> excuse me, we, we spent the fall um, going through our new discipleship pathway initiative. And uh, we are currently working on our next installment of that as we looked all about grace and talked about grace. And we have our grace booklets available out on the Connection Center. Uh, but the next phase of that will be one of the, uh, actually two of the 12 steps that we unveiled in the fall. We will cover in our next installment, we're preparing another book, a guide 
that will be available online, but also in print about how to tell your story, how to share your testimony, and then how to tell the story about how you share the gospel. And these, of course, go together. And so that'll be the, the next thing that we focus on as we kind of, uh, you know, dig down a little bit deeper in what these 12 uh, stepping stones look like on the discipleship pathway. But uh, we will look at uh, this year in um, uh, actually in the next month or two, uh, we'll be looking at what it uh, looks like to tell your story, how to craft and share effectively your testimony of faith, but then also incorporate in that how to share the gospel. And it's all part of us pursuing Jesus and being disciples on the pathway to be more like Christ. Just a reminder that uh, the way that you can stay uh, connected and uh, updated on all things that are going on at Trinity, and of course, if there's any last-minute announcements, this is the quick and easiest way. If you haven't done so already, just sign up uh, to receive our text updates. You just simply text that word, all caps, join Trinity to that number, 84576. You can even do that now if you'd like, but if you haven't done that already. So if you have your phones out, I assume you're either reading your Bible app or you're signing up for this, right? What else could it possibly be that you'd be on your phone for? Hmm. Um, but it's really the best way to stay updated. We usually send emails too, but uh, this is what we do mostly, and so it's the best way to stay connected. And then, of course, um, we would really encourage you to sign up to be a part of our prayer uh, email and so that you can um, receive prayer requests from people in the church and then also the updates that go along with it so we can continue to encourage each other and be a church that prays, that we pray for one another. And remember, of course, our uh, Wednesday night services, and we conclude our Wednesday night services that are now held at the Allenwood Church down the road with a time of prayer, and they have been very powerful. And so I really encourage you to join us because we have three churches, us, the Allenwood Church and Shiloh Baptist and Manasquan. We gather together and after our service where we record our podcast, we, um, we have a time of prayer together and they have just been really amazing. So I just want you to know that you are being prayed for and there's just, um, it's just really awesome to see people of God that don't normally gather now gathering and especially concluding their time together through some powerful and awesome prayer. So just be reminded of that. So here we are in First and Second Peter, uh, and we are in Second Peter. We did First Peter last year. Second Peter, chapter uh, two, and we are in verses one through three. And if you remember, just to get caught up, that the overall theme of Second Peter is a, a warning against false teachers. That is specifically why the uh, Apostle Peter is writing this letter. He's writing it to predominantly Hebrew Christians, right? All of the, the first Christians in the early church were uh, Hebrews who were converted, of course, and now believed in Jesus as the promised Messiah. And so they would understand false prophets because there were false prophets in the Old Testament. And we'll look at some scriptures that show us that. But he is specifically concerned that there have already been uh, a rise of false prophets, and he talks about how there will continue to be that. And so it's, of course, discouraging and unsettling, but nonetheless, Peter makes it clear that we are to be aware of what it is that we're learning 
to process everything through the scriptures uh, and to be aware that false teachers don't come, you know, uh, blazing into church, announcing themselves as false teachers, but it comes in uh, insipidly and it's an insidious growth that, that we are to be made aware of. And so that's really what Peter addresses. So there's just a, a few things that I want to um, unpack uh, as we go through just those three verses, and we'll read them in just a moment. I'm always blessed to have this water up here. Sometimes your throat gets dry, and I'm going to read it. It's, it's very convenient, right, to have water in water bottles. And some of us, uh, you know, we're trying to save the environment, and so we, instead of using plastic bottles, we have our own bottles that we take around. But plastic has really uh, changed our world, our society, hasn't it? You know that plastic has been around for more than 100 years. It was about 1907 that the first kind of plastic item was introduced into the market, but it wasn't until the 40s and 50s that plastic really became sort of ubiquitous and was just all around in society. And now just think about everything in our lives that is made of plastic, right? Everything. Some of us who've even had surgeries have like plastic inside of us, right? Plastic screws and bolts and holding us together. But everything from like water bottles to the things we use to store our food in and uh, the cars that we drive, right? Used to be made of steel and metal. Now so much of it is plastic, right? <laughs> but it's amazing because plastic is such um, an, an amazing discovery because it is moldable, uh, and it can be basically fashioned into anything. But really, plastic, um, really its sense is that it is synthetic, and that it is um, manufactured, and it is fabricated because it is not inherently natural. You know, and we often think about these days about plastic waste and pollution and how much of it finds its way into the ocean. We might not see it all the time, but we hear more and more. And statistically, there are, uh, unfortunately, hundreds of millions of tons of uh, plastic waste uh, all around the world and uh, in our oceans. And so we talk about how it can become toxic. You know, what's interesting is scientists will talk about this thing called microplastics, how plastics, many versions of plastics will, um, will degrade, not completely. That's why it can become so toxic because they're not biodegradable since they are synthetic and not natural. But what happens is over time, they, uh, they are broken down into much smaller pieces, sometimes just smaller like hair-like fabrics, and they are called microplastics. And these are actually even more dangerous because they are not so visible, but yet they can get into everything. And so we realize that plastics, even though we um, almost like can't live without them these days, can be toxic. Why? Because they are synthetic and fabricated. And it's interesting, I bring that up because there is a word in our passage today in verse 3, and the word is false. I'm going to read it in just a minute, but if you look at verse 3 there at the end, at the bottom of the screen, it says that in their greed they will exploit you with false words. So in the original Greek, the New Testament was written in Greek, a little bit of Aramaic, thrown in there, but the Greek word in false really means fabricated 
manufactured, right, fake, it means that it is not natural. So why does Paul choose to use this word? And we have our translation as false. Some versions, the NIV, think, I think says fabricated. Why? Because it is made up. It's something that is not true, does not exist, is not natural, but it is created. It is man-made. And it has become, in the context of false teaching, toxic to the church. Just like things that we create can become toxic to our environment, Peter is warning us and the church against false teachers and their false teaching because he says they are becoming destructive to your church environment and more importantly to your heart, the environment of your soul. False teachings have become toxic. And it is not a new thing, unfortunately, because false teachings have been around as long as there has been truth all the way from the beginning. So, Peter uses this word destructive a few times in this passage to describe the nature of false teaching. And so this morning, I just want you to see a few things about these verses that Paul, uh, that Peter is serious when it, comes to, um, when it comes to the dangers of false teaching. So he gives a few descriptive words that we need to be reminded of this morning. And you'll see some, I think, real practical application for us as we go through it about how it is that we can recognize false teaching and um, what we are to, uh, to do to combat that. So let's read this together. So here's what Peter says. He says, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. So I just briefly want to unpack each of those verses and highlight some of the words here that help, help us to get that picture, that mental picture of what it is that Peter is trying to tell us. So first in verse one, to read it again, he says that false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. So what he's saying is, he's saying, look, remember his audience, his original readers, are Hebrew Christians. They are, are men and women who grew up with the Old Testament, right, which who knew what it said and would have known and should have known what it said about false teachers. And so Peter is reminding them, you know, there were false teachers amongst our ancestors who were trying to bring forth false teachings, not only about the coming Messiah, but about God himself and those who actually came up among the true 
prophets that we all know about. And so um, listen to these words. You can look it up if you like. This is from Jeremiah 14, 14. Again, Jeremiah being, of course, an Old Testament prophet. Here's what it says, Jeremiah 14, 14. Then the Lord said to me, meaning God speaking to Jeremiah, the prophets are prophesying falsehood in my name. He's not talking about Jeremiah. He's talking about false prophets. I have neither sent them nor commanded them nor spoken to them. They are prophesying to you a false vision, divination, futility, and the deception of their own minds. This is way back from Jeremiah's day. Do you see God is saying um, through Peter in our passage today, there have always been false prophets and our ancestors knew all about it. And so Jeremiah 14, 14 is a great example because God is saying those that are coming, they're saying that they're coming and teaching in my name, but he says, I didn't send them. I didn't give them the words to speak. So they're not coming in my name or with my authority. And what they're, all, what they're doing is prophesying things that are false. Again, fabricated, that have become toxic. He says false visions, false divination, false, it's all futility and the deception of their own minds. You remember from last week we saw that Peter was saying, these are just myths. These false teachers amongst you are making things up but they're going to sound good and they're going to sound enticing because there's always going to be some truth mixed in with it. And so also Jeremiah 23, listen to these words, Jeremiah 23, 13 to 16. Moreover, among the prophets of Samaria, I saw an offensive thing. They prophesied by Baal and led my people Israel astray. Also among the prophets of Jerusalem, I have seen a horrible thing, the committing of adultery and walking in falsehood, and they strengthen the hands of evildoers. What it's saying is that when false prophets come in, it gives rise and bravado to other people to latch on and also teach false teachings. He says, so that no one has turned back from his wickedness. All of them have become to me like Sodom and their inhabitants like Gomorrah. That is certainly a judgment of God. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the false prophets, Behold, I am going to feed them to wormwood and make them drink poisonous water. For from the prophets of Jerusalem, pollution has gone forth into all the land. God is saying, that the teachings of the false prophets and the false teachers has polluted God's truth and has polluted God's people. Church, we are to be aware of false teachers in our time. You know, it is one of, if not the most important calling and responsibility of elders in a church as overseers, or also called shepherds, to protect the flock, as Paul describes them in Jesus, from heresies, from false teachings. 
so that an elders, elders of any church are to oversee the spiritual health and well-being of a church to make sure there is no false teaching that is seeping into the church. Again, that is mostly how teachings that go against the orthodox understandings of the scriptures and what we have understood from the early church fathers and the teachings of Jesus and Paul and the other apostles and writers of God's word, that as we veer astray from them, it becomes toxic to the church because false teachers lead people astray. We'll see that towards the end of our message today. And so those in leadership over the church, specifically the elders, are commissioned to oversee what is being taught, to make sure that all that is being taught from the scriptures actually comes from the scriptures. As I said earlier in my opening to worship, when we encounter the word of God in our Bibles, we are coming face to face with the sovereign creator of the universe. Therefore, we are to handle the word of God with great sincerity and great reverence and with a health, healthy dose of fear because of God and what he says about the dangers of false teachers. But Peter is telling us in, in verse one that, you know what? There were false teachers and there will be amongst you as well. And so he's warning them. It's just like what Paul says to Timothy. Just listen to these words. Remember from First and Second Timothy, part of what's called the pastoral epistles, Paul, the apostle, is writing to Timothy, a very young, probably older teenage, young, early 20s, leader in the church. He's sort of Paul's protege. And Paul is writing to Timothy in First and Second Timothy about how to be a pastor, how to be a church leader. He talks a lot about what to make sure he's teaching the people. Listen to Paul's words of instruction to young Timothy. This is how it starts off. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus who is our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you upon my departure for Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. So Paul calls it strange doctrines, false teachings. Nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies, which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. See, Paul is saying, this is how you can tell. This is one of the measuring sticks, the barometer, that teaching is true and of God because it is from love and a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith, as opposed to false teachers. He goes on to say, for some men straying from these things have turned aside to fruitless discussion, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying 
or the matters about which they make confident assertions. You see, Paul is saying to Timothy, you have to be careful as the overseer of this church in Ephesus. You have to watch and be on your guard because there's going to be men specifically that are going to want to be in positions of leadership. He's like, they're going to want to be teachers of the law. He said, but they're not going to know anything about what they're teaching or the ramifications of what they have to say, because their hearts will not be true. They will not be coming from a, a heart of love and of truth and of compassion, is what Paul says. But he says, and this is part of his warning, that they will do it with great confidence. See, a false teacher is not going to come in and be unsure of what it is that he's doing. He's going to come in with great confidence, right? So we need to be aware. Be aware of the books that we're reading, the programs we're listening to or watching, and we are to filter it all through the scriptures which show us the heart of God. He goes on to say in verse one that they do it secretly. Again, that is the nature of false teachers. They come in with great confidence, but they do it secretly, and he says that it will be destructive, right? And that not only are their heresies destructive, but he makes a good point, and he says, even denying the master who bought them, which would be Jesus who died for them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. See, he's saying, God is not going to deal with this lightly. That's how much God cares about truth, because all truth is God's truth when it is true, <laughs> right? So they will bring destruction upon themselves. Verse 2 he goes on to say, again, he's elaborating this. I just want you to make sure we don't miss the language when he talks about coming in secretly and that their teachings are destructive, but they will heap destruction upon themselves. In verse two, he says, many will follow their sensuality. What does he mean? He says that it's going to be very, very appealing, right? A false teacher will not make his teaching so blatant that's like oh i don't want to hear that that's not true it will be seductive is what peter is saying it will be sensual in nature in the sense that it will catch and grab our attention but he says because of them the way of truth will be maligned so their ways will be seductive on purpose to grab and to hold our attention. Their influence will be strong. So Peter is warning, don't take this lightly, church, that there, will, there has been and will be false teachers that we are to be aware of. And he says that because of them, the way of truth, God's way, will be maligned. Again, going back to this idea, it will become toxic and truth will then come into question. See, false teachers will stir up doubt to get people to follow them, to doubt what people have already been taught the truth in the true way, to then go their way. Right? The way of truth will be maligned. There will be false accusations. There will be doubt that will be stirred up. You know what? This reminds me of what happened in the garden, the garden of Eden. Because you know, church, since the garden of Eden, since then, we see it through the Old Testament, and now Peter's saying it's still happening and will continue to happen. 
Truth has always been under attack by our enemy. Do you believe that? Truth has always been maligned. Remember what it says. These are familiar words to many of you. Just listen from Genesis. It says in chapter 3, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. So the serpent said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, Well, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You surely won't die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to her eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Traditionally, we call that the fall when sin was introduced to mankind. But how was sin introduced? And this is so important we remember this. It was by Satan in the form of a serpent saying these simple words, did God really say? See, there was already an attack on truth. For what God had told Adam and Eve, of course, was true. You cannot eat of this one tree. Satan comes along and says, oh, what did God say? See, he's, he's mixing the truth with a lie. And she says, oh, this is what God said. And Satan says, he didn't really say that. Puts just enough of a seed of doubt into her mind. Here we are as a result of that decision, of that attack on truth. And truth has always been attacked by Satan. Why? Because Satan is a father of lies, Jesus says. He has been a murderer from the beginning. See, Satan can do nothing other than lie. And God can do nothing other than tell the truth. They are at complete opposites and opposed to one another. And so Satan will always want to, as our enemy, excuse me, and the enemy of God, he will want to attack truth. And he will not want me to say those words from his word, right? Aha. Amen. I have my plastic bottle full of water. Yes, I do. Praise God. <laughs> so it's really important as we understand these words of Peter, also expressed by Paul in his teachings, that we are to take the word of God seriously and in doing so, beware that there will be false teachers among us. And unfortunately, they usually don't come from outside the church, but from within. Right? Elsewhere called wolves in sheep's clothing. For we know that Satan can disguise himself as an angel of light. So that is in verse 2. That their ways of the false teachers will be enticing all the more reason that we are to stay focused and awake and aware of what it is that we are hearing and watching and learning. 
And because of them, the way of truth will be maligned. And then finally, in verse 3, it says this, And in their greed, there is another motivation, right? Not only to get people to follow them, but it's from a heart of greed. You see in, that, in, in the other passage I read, Paul is saying, look, it's supposed to be out of love and compassion, not out of greed. So he's saying these false teachers are greedy, and they will not only malign the truth, but they will exploit you with false words, right? I mean, I think we've all, without giving to any names or whatever, but we have all uh, encountered what we would probably call a false teacher. People that we have heard, that we have seen, um, that have done things that sometimes are just blatantly um, false and are truly exploitative, right? Send us this amount of money and you will receive the answer to your prayer. It's that kind of thing. It's to exploit the vulnerable, to exploit those who are hurting, to exploit those who are innocent that know no better. That is what false teachers do. And Peter is saying it right here. Out of their greed, they will exploit you with false words. And again, that's what I opened up with. It is that word false and false words is that Greek where we get the word plastic. It's plastos or plasticos in one of the forms. It's where we get the word plastic because it means it is fabricated. It is moldable. You can make it whatever you want. So we do not stick to just a plain, literal, simple meaning and a reading of the word of God. Then we can basically make it say whatever we want it to say. We can mold it like plastic into whatever fits our desires. And Peter is saying that is what false teachers do. And finally, he says, their judgment from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. And he's saying, look, let's remember, even though how serious this is, God will swiftly deal with false teachers their judgment from long ago is not idle. He's saying God has not forgotten. God is still a righteous judge. Remember, church, Jesus came first 2,000 years ago as Savior to offer salvation to all who would believe. When he comes back, he's coming back as judge to finally judge sin. And so Jesus returns as judge. So Peter is reminding them that judgment from long ago, the judgment that God pronounced on the Old Testament false prophets, we have the same God, and he is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. It will be in God's timing and in his way. So their words are false. They are manufactured. They are made up. They are fabricated. They are not natural to God's truth. Therefore, they have become toxic and destructive to the environment of our soul. Their judgment is sure, however, and false prophets will be judged. God has not fallen asleep at the will, at the at the wheel. He is still his judge. He is still the judge of sin and false teachers. I want to read these words of Jesus to you. We've heard from Peter. 
we've heard from Paul. Now let's close our time by hearing from Jesus himself. This won't be up on the screen for you. It's a long passage, but I encourage you either look it up now or just listen to me read it. This is a passage from Matthew chapter 23. Matthew 23. You know, Jesus spent so much of his time in ministry in the short three and a half years speaking out against the false teachers to the people of Israel. We know them as the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes to go along with them. These were the leaders of the people of Israel, God's chosen people. The Pharisees and the other leaders with them knew the word of God taught often what was true from God's word, but did not live like it, and were leading the people astray by showing them and teaching them to do things that were not instructed by God. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees were false teachers. So it is important to realize that Jesus spent much time in his ministry speaking to them about their false teachers, false teachings and the danger of what they were doing and their need to repent and spent so much time railing against them to the point that Jesus wept because they finally rejected him. You know what it was? It was, we see it in Matthew 12, sort of the hinge of the gospel of Matthew, right there in the middle in Matthew 12, all of their accusations against Jesus and the truth that he was speaking, they finally said, Jesus is not teaching and not healing and performing miracles from God, but it is from Satan. That was that blasphemous work. And at that point on, Jesus knew that the leaders of Israel and then the nation on their behalf would reject him as their king and would reject the offer of the kingdom that he had been making to his people, that offer that God had promised to them through their Messiah. So here are the words of Jesus to these false prophets found in Matthew 23. This section is often called the eight woes of Jesus. Just, you can read along or just listen. There, I've taken some excerpts, so there's a few verses I'll skip, but you'll be able to follow along. Just listen to these words of Jesus as he speaks directly to these false teachers. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people. For you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense you make long prayers. Therefore you will receive greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, whoever swears by the temple 
that is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obligated. You fools and blind men, which is more important, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? Then he goes on in verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, like justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others, you blind guides who strain out a gnat, yet swallow a camel." Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish so that outside of it may become clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous. And he continues on down in verse 37. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together, the, the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left desolate to you. For I say to you, from now on, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Until those false teachers recognize Jesus as the true Messiah sent by God himself, they will be condemned. To all of these words, these words of Jesus, when he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Does that sound like the meek and mild Jesus that we often think about? How much does God care about the truth? How much does he care? Jesus spent so much time here in this passage and others condemning the false teachers of the people of Israel to the point where he calls them out. Jesus is calling them out. He's speaking directly to them, calling them blind guides, calling them hypocrites, calling them blind fools, for they don't even see the damage that they are doing and how their false teachings are becoming toxic to their people and leading them astray. So church, we are to be careful what we listen to. We are to check everything against the scriptures. Don't even, and I've said this many times, don't even just take what I am saying without checking it against Scripture. If I ever say something that just, it doesn't seem right, ask me about it. Go to the Scriptures and check it, but do that with every teacher of the Scriptures that you see or hear. Let us all be like Bereans. 
from Acts chapter 17. It says, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. And now these Jews, the Bereans, were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the words of Paul with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Do you see that? So when you hear another Christian say, I want to be like a Berean, that's a good thing. It means that we take what we hear, what we are learning from any Bible teacher or any other believer, and we want to filter it through the scriptures. You see what the Bereans did? They were Jews in the synagogues, and Paul often, when he went to a place, the first thing he'd do is went to the synagogue to preach the gospel. And it says the Bereans listened. So they were attentive. They gave him a, a hearing. They had never met him before. But it says that they listened intently. It says they searched the scriptures daily to see if what Paul was teaching them was actually the truth. That is the greatest tool we have against being influenced by and seduced by false teachers by bringing it back to the word of God. 1 John 4.1, the apostle John says this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now here is the apostle John saying the same thing. He's saying we are to test every spirit to see whether they are from God. How do we know if they're from God? Well, we go to the very word of God itself, the Holy Bible. God's self-revelation to us as people. So church, I'd actually like to close with this. So in closing, would you stand with me, please? I want to stand by reading these words to you. Let these words, as I speak them over us, let these words sink in, especially the last verse, these so important words of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus says these familiar words, let not your hearts be troubled, but believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. So Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Church, as we focus on the truth, we focus on Jesus himself. For he says he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you are joining us here today and you have not yet believed that Jesus is the way, today would be the day for you to do so. For you know what? The gospel of Jesus Christ, that gospel of grace is simply this, that we are saved from the penalty of our sin, being born sinners and separated from God because of what we were reminded of in, in back in the Garden of Eden, that we are separated from God because of our sinful nature, 
but yet God has made a way to be reconciled to him. And that way is one way and one way only. It is Jesus Christ, for he says the words himself. He's saying there's no other way to be reconciled to God. He says, I am that way. I am the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Elsewhere, we're told these beautiful, simple words. Like in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would not die but have everlasting life. Do you want everlasting life? Do you want hope in this life and the next? Do you want to be reconciled to God, your maker? There is one way and only one way, and that is to believe in the Lord Jesus, that you believe that he is who he says he is, the son of God, the Messiah, who would take away the sins of the world, and that he did what he said he was going to do, die on a cross to take the penalty of our sin upon him so that we wouldn't have to, and that he would rise again on the third day to defeat death. And if we believe that he is who he says he is, and he did that, and he did it for us, the Bible says that we are saved. We are saved by grace because God did it all. That's what grace is. Through faith, that is us receiving that gift and it's not of our works. Nothing that we can do on our own will please God enough to earn our own salvation. Jesus Christ did it all, and we are simply to believe in him. For that, we can say amen and hallelujah. And that is the truth upon which we stand. Let nothing or no one ever divert us from that beautiful truth. Let's be those Bereans and always check everything that we learn through the scriptures, God revealed word to us through Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your words today, your words of um, precaution, your words of being aware. Father, we take your word seriously. So God, help us to understand the nature of false teaching, the heart behind it. May we be able to recognize that heart that comes from love and the desire for truth, the desire to see people come to know you, Lord God. May we surround ourselves, Lord, with those who want to direct us towards the truth, that want to encourage us, that want to see us grow from the truth, that want to see us be more like Jesus. God, help us to please be careful about what it is that we are learning. Help us to be careful, Lord, with those things that we watch, those things that we hear. May we bring it all up against your word and your son, the truth. And Father God, would you protect this church, Trinity Bible Church, protect the leaders of this church, protect her people, Lord God. May we continue to always be a church that stands firm and true on your word and your word alone. Father God, correct us wherever we go astray. Protect us from the wolves in sheep's clothing. God, that we may continue to be a beacon of light and truth and hope in this area and the world around us for your people, Lord God, are so precious to you. Thank you, Father, finally for Jesus, for him being the truth. May our eyes stay truly focused and fixed on him that we may never be led astray. It's in his name that we pray. 
Amen. Amen. Let's go in peace and go in the truth. Hallelujah. Slay.